Welcome to Philosophy Friday. Hope you're doing well today and uh, hope you're doing well in this new year. Let's kick it off with a bit of philosophy. Well, again, Philosophy Friday, I hope you're ready to do uh, and think about a little bit of philosophy with me today. Um, I've decided to do a solo. I haven't done a solo in a while, but I do have a couple of things I just wanted to talk about and uh, and kind of just run back to back on, on the show for a while. Um, the first is that I have uh, decided to, because I just noticed we were, we were recommending a lot of... Um, uh, what do you call them? Um, just just resources, I suppose, books. Um, but but it's beyond books. You're looking at lecture series, websites, Audible, um, that sort of thing. And I thought, well, you know, if we're going to do that, let's try and get that a little bit more systematic. So I'll slowly start piecing this together, where basically I'll just come along and and uh, whenever we're talking about anything on the uh, podcast that's worth anything, I'll just go ahead and put that as a separate post on the blog so that you can check it out. And then what I'll do is also just have a link running to Amazon uh, if it's something that you can buy from Audible or Amazon uh, in terms of Kindle or anything like that. Um, because, well, I suppose it just makes it convenient for you, not that you have to buy it from Amazon. But usually that is, I find, especially with Kindle, it's probably the easiest uh, track. Maybe book uh, depository is also an option there. But um what I'll do is I'll run a, a link to Amazon and um, that will, if you do click on that link, it will earn me like a cent every thousand million clicks I get. And, you know, I, I do love my cents. So go ahead and and uh, click on that link for me and give me some money. Now, in fact, actually, I shouldn't be serious about this because um, in order to qualify as a proper Amazon affiliate, it's a little bit like the iTunes thing, like you have to prove yourself to them first. <laughs> So I have to, I'm in the probationary period. Wow, that sounds theological. Um, I'm in the Amazonian, whoa, it's like like Edenic probationary period. Oh my goodness, I'm freaking out. This, this is definitely Philosophy Friday. Uh, I'm in a philosophical mood. Okay, stop. Um, so I'm on this probation at the moment uh, with Amazon in that I have to make three sales, I think it is, um, in the next 100 days. So in all seriousness, I think we have a shot at this, guys. If you can um, go ahead and uh, flick me an email, actually, if uh, you have anything you want to buy on, on Amazon. I can actually put it on the blog, and then you can click through my link, and I will have jippoed the Amazonian system and become a proper affiliate. And then I'm in business. Then I can relax and, and not worry about it. Um, but uh, no, seriously, if you do want to go ahead and buy something, then please just do help me out and go through that channel, even if it might be a little bit weird to begin with. Uh, that, that just means I can just do this long term and that'd be great. Um, I've also got the thing going with iBooks there and we'll try and sort out something. It'll be a work in progress, though. So I don't expect too much too soon. I don't, I don't want to spend too much time on this. Uh, but hopefully over if, over the years, you know, it, it could rack up a decent categorized little system of resources, which I think could be quite helpful. And I'll actually tag the rel- relevant blog discussion, or at least uh, the, the relevant uh, podcast discussion to that post, and that could be quite cool. All right. Anyways, with that said, just a little bit today on um, some more thinking uh, with when it comes to Greek philosophy, ancient Greek philosophy. 
Um, we've mentioned a little bit before. Um, uh, I, I'm really excited. I think Nick is getting excited about it too. We are going to be talking about some decent philosophy. I know Nick just ordered a whole uh, bunch of books and he's going to be plowing through those for the next few years, dedicated to the task, as is our good Mr. Nick Cleveley uh, with all things. But uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to the future discussions there. Um, I think probably he will major on things that are a little bit more contemporary. So I just want to make sure that we get the Greek philosophers down a little bit up front. And um, they tend to be so important uh, for so many different reasons. And all I want to do is kind of just whet your appetite for them. Uh, we've already talked a little bit about the Stoics, um, and I'll come back to that some more. Uh, but even prior to the Stoics, you have... Uh, the guys who started it all, I suppose, the guys who basically created the ideas for uh, what was to come. I mean, obviously, down the line, you had Socrates and you had, um, you know, uh, who's that famous guy? I should know this. I should know this. That's right. Plato. <laughs> oh, boy. <sighs> all right. So Plato and uh, Socrates and Aristotle. I mean, every, those are household names. Everyone should should more or less have an idea of, of who they were, but um, maybe we don't so much know what they taught and what they believed. The guys who started all that off were about 600 to 500 BC and uh, commonly re- referred to as the first of those uh, those Greek thinkers and maybe even the first Western philosopher is Thales of Miletus, or Miletus at least. And um, and he was of the, the famous Milesian school, as it would move on from that point uh from about 600 to 500 BC. And Thales was um, like a super quirky guy to read. Well, you actually don't read his stuff. You read about his stuff. They kind of piece it together. I don't think we have anything remaining of his writings. Um, maybe a fragment or two, I'm not sure. But um, yeah, you usually read about it in a philosophy survey and you know he gets mentioned in other philosophers and that's how they put it together. But he... Um, he had very quirky beliefs in that, you know, everything is all made out of water and you know, he's trying to find the oneness in all things. Like, how is there unity and yet diversity? And it all seems very, very bizarre. And especially bizarre because it's sort of cloaked in this in these almost very primitive thoughts about, you know, that the, there was even the possibility that water could unite all things. Like, everything is ultimately water. And obviously you see the the way that water morphs. It's in a few different forms and it's in all sorts of things and our bodies, you know, made of water. And, you know, we've got, we've got water in a lot of things, but, you know, it's a very primitive thought that that could be the thing that unites all things in the world. And so we tend to brush him off and, and kind of move on and get to the more exciting stuff later. But Thales actually sparked off a, a – I think he's super important because he sparked off a way of thinking – that um, is then developed and moved forward by the Milesian school. Um, you have that all the way through, uh, um, what's his name again, uh, Anaximenes and uh, Anaximander uh, of Miletus. Um, these guys are all just developing his thinking. Um, they they try and just uh, tweak a few of his theories. They agree with him, as it were, except they're like, oh, wait a minute, water's not working. Let's try air as the thing that unites all things, as the principle of being. And they were just very, very preoccupied with this idea of being. Now, the reason I've thought to bring this up at this point is because uh, we've already spoken so much about this, this uh, notion of being and becoming. Um, and how it's actually the starting point for Christian theology. Uh, God alone 
is, and everyone else is in the in the realm of becoming. We never are the same the same um, person that we were, and we we you know you can look back in the archives and see uh, where we dealt with that. Um, and so this matter of ontology is important. Uh, our our ontological makeup is is in process versus God, who is um, different to us uh, at this level of being. God is never changing. He always is. He is complete unity. Um, and 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 that's very different to the the creature uh, who is always in flux, as it were. Now, that we might even presuppose as a kind of a, a given starting point in theology, if you've studied theology at all. Um, but what we, you know, what I'm trying to do here is show you how that thought in theology has been wrestled with at such a heavy level from about, well, you know, for, in terms of the recorded writings, um, in Western thinking, starting at 600 BC, you have these Greek guys that are just looking at life, racking their brains, pulling their hair out, trying to, to work out how that works. Like how, how is it that, that we have, we can even have something called being, and yet we ourselves can be in such flux. How does that even work? All they're trying to do is do what we do when we start off with a theology of God. God is, and therefore we derive all of our knowledge. Uh, that's what we talked about, epistemology. And all of our knowledge can be sure and certain because it's rooted in, in the isness of God, the, the reality of God's being. And uh, we have this thing called covenant, and that's the way God condescends to reveal uh, to us how we might enter into a relationship with one who is ontologically different from us. So all of these things, again, we kind of take for granted and we move forward from. These guys were working towards, they were, it reminds me again of, of uh, Paul's uh, preach to the Athenians in Mars Hill. And, um, you know, he here. He alludes to the fact that they are like those who are stumbling in darkness, trying to find God and trying to just find a way to make sense of it all. And again, you know, with this, you see that. But you also, so at one level, it sounds stupid that they would even consider water or air as as the thing that unites all things. And But when you start understanding what they're actually trying to do, that they're trying to find a way to know stuff, they're trying to find a way to make sense of, of, of the world, then what that does is it gives you a deeper appreciation for what we have as Christians and why we have it. It's kind of a, almost a negative way of learning, but it, it, it's necessary to see the depth and the, the depth of this thinking and the way that it has mattered to the best of thinkers in Western thought. And, um, and so then not take our own theology for granted and uh, know exactly what our answer is to this kind of wrestling. Um, but we get to uh, Heraclitus, and now this is uh, around 500 to 400 BC, just in the next uh, phase, I suppose you could say. This is, um, he was part of the Ionians, as they're called. And um, w- what he did was he started to resolve the tension of being and becoming by, by saying that, uh, you know, all things are actually in a state of becoming and nothing in the created universe, as far as he could tell, was in a state of being. And he moved things one step closer, as it were, to just trying to, uh, you know, be honest with with the way that we ourselves need to consider reality. And yet, at the same time, it started to, I think, draw the line into needing the transcendent, needing something other than um, what was created to be the starting point for all of our knowledge. And so he's the guy who you might have heard, you know, you can't step in the same river twice 
because that river is always flowing. So it, in some sense, it is the same river, but in, a, in another sense, it's not. Like the, the water that you're stepping into is um, it's a different part of the river. The river has changed, essentially, since the last time you stepped in it. And that is kind of a metaphor for all of creation and that we're all moving towards something. We're never the same as we were. Even when we stop growing physically, we change mentally, we evolve, for lack of a better term. I don't, know, I don't mean that in the evolutionary um, biological sense, of course. Uh, that's another discussion entirely. But um, yeah, we just, we, we change. And, you know, like I said, we covered that uh, already. Um, and so... There you have, again, another significant um, thing happening with with Western thinking leading to uh, later thinkers. And obviously, I'm not going to go through all of them now. But um, just to give you a little taste as to how they move forward slowly but surely toward developing uh, what we take for granted in theology. And uh, I thought maybe what I would do is just just with that uh, little taster in mind, I would go ahead and recommend a very, very good um, introduction to to Greek uh, philosophy if you did want to get into it. One of the things I, th- I think that is quite overwhelming in getting into th- uh, philosophy is trying to find a, a decent starting point or a decent overview. Like, do you jump straight into one thinker? Do you, you know, try and get a story of the whole? And um, I think it's a good idea. I'm always a big picture guy, and it's always a good idea to just try and jump in at a, at a bigger level and just get a sense of the whole. But the problem is with the Greek philosophers, it gets very, very intense. Uh, and and you know, if you hadn't had, if you didn't have any uh, background in philosophy prior to that, you, know, you might you might just even just an introductory survey is a bit off putting. Um, that is all, except for one uh, course that I've uh, seen. On, it's unaudible at the moment. It's part of the Great Courses, and it's an introduction to Greek philosophy by David uh, Ruchnik. I think he has pronounced his his surname uh, or Ruchnik. Um, but he is very good in the way that he just kind of keeps it moving at a steady pace, and it's an audible book so it's not like a lecture series we have to wonder which lecture you're in and you can just audible's great like that it just stops where where you leave it off and you can just kind of make your way through um a, a really awesome lecture series i think it is uh designed specifically for audible so it, it's just uh well produced and um you know in a matter of a month or two you can kind of get through the whole survey of greek thinking if you did want to do something like that so uh in keeping with what i was saying a little bit earlier um, I'll go ahead and put that onto the website um, if you did want to check it out. Um, but then also, just to kind of move forward from that, um, I wanted to give you just one tool that comes from all of this. You know, I, we mentioned ontology and, and um, epistemology as the starting point for, the, for theology uh, a few uh, weeks or maybe even a month ago now. Um and so you can go check that out again. Here's another little tool for your theology that uh, that really comes from this way of thinking that has been hammered out over the centuries. Um, there is something in theology that we call the arc of, of theology or the philosophical arc. And typically we're thinking about our theology of God and the difference between uh, Godness and everything created. That comes straight out of the arche idea of, of Greek thinking. Uh, when, I, when I was saying earlier that um, 
you had Thales looking for the oneness of it all. Uh, they would talk about in Greek philosophy this thing called the arche, the, the the thing that rules over all, the thing that is uh, being and not becoming, uh, the thing that unites all things. Uh, that arche, or you know, it has many different ways that you can translate it, but one idea that comes from it is the philosophical arch. And um, and it's it's just you can imagine if you had a diagram and you had a picture of the world and the universe and and then a big arch above all of that and then you had uh, something representing God above that arch. Um, that's basically uh, what this thing is all about. There are certain characteristics of God that make him always above that arch. Uh, he is part of this. His his godness um, keeps him from ever being a created being, and likewise, anything that is created will keep the created being from ever becoming God, because he could never get above this philosophical arch. So things like bound by time is is God bound by time? Um, part of his godness is not to be bound by time. I would argue. Now there is a lot of uh, pretty heavy going debate about that. But we'll leave that aside for now. But I would say God is. Not not in time. Time is uh, is something that is below the arch. It's created um, to experience things one moment after the other, and so anyone that does or anything that does experience one moment after the other uh, in a, in a sequence as we call time is going to exclude themselves from ever being God. And so there are other things we could think about there. Not really time. But it helps us to immediately straighten out components of our theology. For example, you often hear of people talking about time and eternity. And uh, while at some level we we could understand that as meaning time uh, as we experience and time that is without end in eternity, that's fine. Uh, I would say that when we think about it in a biblical sense that you know when we die and we go to heaven, we're experiencing time now as creatures. We will never not experience time, though that time will be without end in eternity as uh, those who are created. We don't stop being created beings after we die. We're always created. The angels are created. They never become God. No one ever gets above the arch. And so to speak about a state of timelessness or to think about eternity, like if you have the, the, the conception that um, when we die, we, we will not experience time as we do now. What you've essentially done is you've placed yourself above the philosophical arch. You've, um, you've, you've said that when you die, you cease to become and you start being. But by saying that, you've literally placed yourself in a place that only God can be. Um, and so immediately it stops you from doing that. If you're aware of this, you're aware that our theology of heaven and eternity must always be time-bound because only God is without time. And and so eternity or going to heaven, a lot of people think about going to heaven as basically, you know, um, uh, men becoming or moving above the arch. They think of the arch itself as, as kind of the boundary between earth and heaven, but that's completely wrong. Heaven, no matter what it will be and what, no matter what it will look like and how awesome it will be, will never be um, above the arch where God alone dwells as one who is. Everyone will always be in a state of becoming. Now, it'll look different, and, and that'll, but, uh, that'll grow, but to stop becoming is to be God, is the point. So we've looked at the state of being, 
uh, and how that influences time. Of course, another one to think about there is um, uh, the issue of omniscience. Omniscience is another attribute of God, him knowing everything that makes him God. It's it's the godness of God, as it were. So it's not like when we die, we all of a sudden will know everything. People often speak that way. You know, hey, I'll know, I'll finally know about that in heaven. Well, maybe you won't, because just because you die, it doesn't mean you become God, right? Uh, you still grow. You still have time. You still learn things. You don't stop becoming is the point, even after heaven, because to stop becoming is to be God, which is no promise that the Bible makes us. Maybe if you're a Mormon or something, but even then, the idea of more than one God kills that whole idea. So bottom line is there can only be one God, and he alone is above the arch, we can never get there, and whatever heaven is cannot be construed in that way. See how helpful that is. It, it just irons out some elements of our theology and keeps us from, from going into wrong thinking. Uh, more we could say on that, but hopefully that just gives you a little bit of a smidgen of, of an interest into the stuff, and, and just uh, you start seeing the relationship of how it is that philosophy and theology can kind of work together, and why it is actually important to, to have a look at these guys who uh, thought about some stuff in the past and how they laid the foundation for Western thinking. So I'm going to leave it at that, um, and hopefully that makes some sense to you. I've realized that even as I'm speaking, you know, if you've never thought about this stuff before, it, it sounds a little scary. And it's a tough call because a lot of people who would have studied philosophy would hear me speaking and go, yeah, that's pretty basic. Um, so I'm trying to strike the balance there, but hopefully that's just something, again, for you to play with. And um, just some food for thought on this Philosophy Friday. So thanks for joining us. Check out the blog and uh, go help me out with that, those affiliate links. I'll, uh, I'll be doing a few, few, few more book recommendations uh, as we go um, because I just want to get you up to speed of, uh, in terms of what I got there so far. So I might just dedicate a few episodes to that. Uh, but each one of them hopefully will be interesting on their own right, not just a book recommendation. Um, that's it. Bless you guys. Have a great day. Mm-hmm.